You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Zadorov just did the gritty to Jake Wallman. Oh my. Elliot, did you know what the gritty was before this week? Like, how unhip do you think I am? Seriously, I know what the... <laughs> I can't do it, but I know what it is. Let me make one thing perfectly clear here to start this off. People do not pay to listen to this podcast. More on Jack Hughes coming up in a couple of moments and more hmm. on the Los Angeles Kings and their social media coming up in a couple of moments. Welcome to 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented as always by the GMC Sierra, Merrick Friedman and Dom Shramati. We will get to Jack Hughes in that New Jersey Los Angeles Kings game, Elliot's. Uh, we will get to uh, some trade related discussions and uh, drill down on what this latest injury to Jank Gensel means for him and the Pittsburgh Penguins. But up first, the headline story of Thursday bleeding into Friday, bleeding into the weekend, and that is the Columbus Blue Jackets are looking for a new general manager. After 11 seasons shepherding the Columbus Blue Jackets, Jarmo Kekalainen relieved of his duties. John Davidson and the rest of management uh, will have a look now for the next general manager and will handle all the general manager responsibilities. What happened here, Freach? Well, first of all, we should remember that the last time that the Columbus Blue Jackets made a GM change, it was John Davidson who did it as well. And one day after he fired Scott Housen, he hired Yarmo Kekalainen. Now, I did not get the impression that we were going to wake up on Friday morning and hear that the Columbus Blue Jackets were ready to hire Kekalainen's successor. This sounds like it's going to go longer. Uh, you know what happened was... Look, I, this was a huge year in Columbus. I think Yarmo Kekalainen knew he needed to have a big year and the Blue Jackets needed to have a big year. And he went out and he took a big gamble with Davidson and others and hired Mike Babcock. And he didn't even make it to training camp. And if you remember the statement that the McConnell ownership put out there when they fired Babcock, it was very clear we were very close to the end of the line. And the only thing that was going to save everyone there was a, an incredible year. And not only have they not had it, but I think the other thing that's really hurt them is, you know, everybody understands there's going to be one or two unhappy players a year. But there's been four or five Blue Jackets this year who've come out publicly and talked about how upset they are about something or how angry they are about something. Merzlikens, 
Yurisek, Line, Voronkov. You know, pe- people can decide if these players are right or they're wrong. I'm sure some people will say, well, this guy's right and that guy's wrong, or they're not all right. A couple of them are right, but this guy's wrong. Like everyone's going to have different opinions, right? But the fact is that, you know, four or five players have come out this year. It's a lot. And, you know, Kekalainen had a really good run there. 11 years. They've made the playoffs eight times in franchise history. Under Kekalainen, it was seven. Their only playoff series win was under Kekalainen. And they won the one against Toronto in the bubble. I count that too. I know it doesn't technically count as playoffs, but they did win a series. Um, their only playoff series wins came under him. You know, 11 years as a GM in this league, that's pretty incredible. Most GMs, that's in most cases, that's like three or four GMs in 11 years. So he had a good run, but it was time, Jeff. You know, you, you, you take a look at, you know, the last few years they've missed the playoffs, the situation with Babcock, which isn't all on Kekalainen, but when you're at the front of the line, you wear that. Um, and just some of the troubles they had with the players this year, it was time. And he doesn't leave the cupboard bare. They've got a lot of good young players there. There's gonna, there's only 32 of these jobs, and people are going to be interested in this one. But it's a good city to live in. It's a good ownership group. And I want to talk about the McConnells again in a minute. And there is good young talent there and not a bad cap situation. They have some extensions that they're going to have to deal with, but I think they're going to be fine cap wise. I was talking to a couple of people today. They, I think they're 15th most cap room in the off season. So they'll have the ability to do some things, but I think two things, Jeff, number one, they didn't want, Kekalainen to handle them through the trade deadline. Number two, and this is my other theory here, they wanted to get a head start on some of the GM candidates who could be available. It's possible, very possible, there's going to be more than one GM change in the NHL this year. And Jeff, I'm wondering if this is as much about let's see if we can get to our preferred candidate first before anyone else does. I do think that's a factor here too. Okay, before we get to, because I think we're all curious about candidates and who are some of the names. A lot of the names will be familiar. might be some new ones that pop up as well. They always do. But before we get there, your point about... This is a, this is a, this is a club that didn't want Yarmo Kekalainen to handle trade deadline for the Columbus Blue Jackets. This is th- this this firing happens 3 weeks in advance of trade deadline. Uh one of the things that I wondered about was was there something that Kekalainen wanted to do that they weren't able to do or he wasn't allowed to do and the organization just said, "Listen, if we're not allowing him to do this, then what's the point of him still being here as general manager? Like, to your knowledge, was there something he wanted to do that he wasn't allowed to? So, Jeff, I don't know if it's as simple as saying he wasn't allowed to do something. I think in these cases, there's nuance here and there. But what I do think is a couple of months ago, before Lindholm was traded to Vancouver, Columbus took a pretty good look at him and I I think really considered it. And I don't know how close it got. 
there's some people who say it got really close. There's other people who say a little bit less than that, but it was serious. I, I would say that it was serious. And at the end, it was decided that it did not make sense for the Blue Jackets to make this deal. Now, I don't know if there was an extension as part of this. I don't, I don't have a good answer on that. But I do think it was going to cost the Blue Jackets futures. Like, you take a look at the deal that Vancouver did for Lindholm. There are futures there. And I think what happened was the Blue Jackets decided as an organization that it did not make sense to do that. And as a result, the idea was scrapped. So I do think it had come to the point where as an organization, they had just said, you know what? We're not punting futures right now. And I think that was what happened in that case. Okay. The candidates, uh, first blush, 24 hours after, you know, a knee jerk reaction, first thoughts, who do you think gets this job? Well, as I said to you on your radio show, the first guy who jumped into my head was Mark Hunter. And, you know, the reason that Mark Hunter jumps into my head is because Rick Nash, London Knight, yeah. Basil McRae mm. owned the London Knights with, with the Hunter brothers. And Basil McRae's in the front office there. Um. You know, I don't know what the future of Rick Nash is. I assume he's going to be just fine. I don't know what the future of Basil McRae is. I do know this. I know that the Blue Jackets have some people in that front office they think are really bright. And so I'm not sure where this is all going to go here. But the connections with Nash and McRae have me wondering about Hunter. Now, Mark Hunter, he has a lot of control in the sense that he would only leave London for what he considers is the right situation. So I think he would need the say. He would have to have the number one voice in hockey. But there's obviously people there that he's comfortable with. You know, Jeff Gorton's name has been thrown around there. I think that's a a very obvious connection with John Davidson. The biggest question is, would the Montreal Canadiens allow this in any way, shape, or form? So that's another question. The other name that got thrown to me, and you know, like you said, Jeff, we are barely scraping the surface here. There's going to be lots of other names they're going to talk to, and we'll see what we come up with. But another name got proposed to me on Thursday that I thought was very interesting, and that is Ray Whitney, the second captain of the Columbus Blue Jackets after Lyle Odeline, who has been working in the NHL for the Department of Player Safety. And Ray Whitney is a guy who's been interviewed uh, for a couple of jobs. And I thought that one was interesting because I could see Columbus wanting someone who has a real connection to the area. Now, it would be interesting to see how everybody would feel about all that. And, you know, Whitney would have to come in there and do a real good job uh, with an interview. But I do wonder if the Columbus connection plays any kind of a role there. Matthew Darsh is the next Blue Jacket. Matthew Darsh was the first player they signed. 
I, I almost worry for Darcy. He almost gets like named in every one of these jobs. I think sometimes I think you it, it becomes a, while, a bad yeah. thing if it's if you're constantly mentioned. Yeah. But yeah, I mean those are four names. I think those are four good names. And there's gonna be a lot of people that we don't think of off the top of our heads. Like a lot of people are gonna want this job. For sure. Uh, let me ask you about one Blue Jackets player specifically. You know, we've talked plenty about Elvis Merzlikens and, you know, what's what's the future there, for example. What do you think happens with Boone Jenner? Boy, that is a great question, Jeff. Um, see, I don't think that they want to trade him. I believe that. But I believe that. What, what I do... And, and first of all, too, like Jenner has some say in this. That's that's one thing that we have to recognize here. He has a partial no trade clause. I don't think they want to trade him. Um, you need good pros with all these young players. Like they have a lot of young players and you need good pros. And, and Jenner is a great pro. But I compared it on your radio show. And I, I like the comparison is when you see someone you want to date and you ask them out and they say no, do you give up or do you try harder? And I think there are some teams who are trying harder. Like, like I'll, I'll, I'm looking at some teams here. How many of these teams would, would look better with, with Boone Jenner? Colorado. Yes. Rangers. Yes. Edmonton. Yes. Boston. Toronto. Oh, yeah. Yep. You know All how many of them would look better? All, All of them. them. All of them. Someone said Carolina to me too. Uh, all of them. I mean, whoever it is, they all look better with Jenner. And I think some of them are trying. I don't know. I, I My inclination is that Columbus doesn't want to do this. We'll just see if anybody makes them really think about it. Okay, we'll uh, we'll follow the story. See if anyone steps up to the plate on Boone Jenner. Um, I, I also <laughs> wanted to mention I would not be surprised if Kekalainen is hired somewhere in a personnel role. Like it depends like on what he wants to do. Advise advisory role, or or like a player personnel role, or like a like a, some sort of management role to find players like like i think one of his real skills is he identifies players um you know there's this whole debate right now about um what makes a good manager and you know we can have this debate but i think as a as a pure identifier of talent i think he's very good and you know for example someone reminded me today that you go back to a team he won a championship with in the Finnish league and who was on that team, Tim Thomas and Brian Rafalski and Brian Rafalski went over to North America and won Stanley cups. Tim Thomas won, came over to North America and was a Conn Smythe winner as the playoff MVP. You know, this is a guy who has an eye for talent and a couple people said to me, they think that, if Kekalainen, like he's got a year left on his deal, so he might want to take some time to relax. I think everybody's entitled, but there will be people who want his eye uh, on the, in their organizations. 
Okay, uh, we'll follow the Columbus story uh, as it unfolds. Uh, this one is long from done. Uh, let's get to Jack Hughes and the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, the comments, um, people pay to see me. This is in an exchange with Victor Arvidsson. Welcome back, Victor Arvidsson, uh, to the Los Angeles Kings. Kings beat the New Jersey Devils. And uh, the trusty social media account for the Los Angeles Kings quickly puts out this tweet. Quote, people pay to see me play no that's scratched out lose is what we heard your thoughts on all of it jack hughes versus the kings well jack hughes has had quite a week oh, you know, yeah. first of all there was <laughs> the goalies the goal we, we win when we get saves and then well the one thing is on the play like like first of all like uh, number one we can't say our our and you've heard me say this a billion times we can't say our athletes are boring and then get mad at them when they say something. It's either one, oh, no one or the other. No one's getting mad at them. I just think that when they say things like this, we have to remark on it. Like I think it's fantastic. Well, I think I, it's but a people, breath of fresh people air. Will ri- people will rip Hughes for this. Ugh. People will rip Hughes for this. But I, but the, that's my point is that you if you, you can't complain they're too boring and then complain when they say something we've learned if you've ever heard Hughes on this podcast, he's going to say it and you better deal with it. Cause that's just who he is. And he's not changing for anybody. I'll say this. I understood why he was mad. That should have been a penalty. If not a penalty shot, <laughs> like I get it. Um, but the thing is, I, my, my dad always said to me, if you're going to dish it out, you better be able to take it. So if the, if the Kings want to reply that way on their social media, and I have to say, like the NHL social media staff on these teams, they are getting bolder and bolder. And I think that's good too. If you're going to dish it out, you got to take it. And so I don't have a problem with any of this. You know, I'll, I'll say this about Hughes. I think there's a lot going on here. Number one, he's had a couple of big injuries this year, so he's frustrated about that. And number two, the Devils have fought their way back into the playoff race after a lot of people, including both of us at different times this year, have written them off as done. And so, look, I think he's annoyed he's been missing a lot of games. I think he sees they're back in the race. He badly wants to win, and he's competitive, and that's who he is. And, you know, like like I said, that's who Jack Hughes is. That's just who he is, and we'd all better get used to it. The only thing I didn't like from Hughes in this game, Jeff, was the stick smashing. Well, by the bench? Yeah, I've got no problem with the talking, Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm not crazy about the stick smashing, only because my rule is never let them see you sweat, right? Never let them see you sweat. Because all those guys on the Kings now are like, Okay, we're in his head. And the same thing, like Jake Wallman, and we'll talk about the Canucks game in a bit, but Jake Wallman, he slammed his stick against the Canucks after Zadorov did the gritty on him. Never let them see you sweat. <laughs> Deliver a sharp line, no problem. Never let them think that they are getting to you. No, but that is off script. If you're going to be an NWA style heel, you do want to see, you want to show that they've gotten to you. That's part of the whole drama. 
he's not paid to let the good guy look good in the other territory. He's there for the devils. I just love that he's a natural heel. Like he's an old school, like wrestling fans will love this reference. You know what he is? He's an old school NWA heel. That's who Jack Hughes is. He, he's he's Ric like Flair. Kind of, he's he's like that. Yes, that's why I'm going with the old NWA he, heel. Absolutely. In, in the Mid Atlantic, they loved him. Everywhere uh. else, they hated him. <laughs> uh, you know what you're talking about. Okay, elsewhere around the NHL, did you? Boy, get a I say. By the way, too, like yeah. that was a huge win for the Kings they after that, that embarrassment in yeah. Buffalo. Well, the, the, I mean, the Buffalo game was weird for, for so many different reasons because I think it makes us look back at that Edmonton game and sort of reevaluate if that was just a, you know, just an exhausted Edmonton Oilers team. But also in that Buffalo Sabres game, when's the last time you saw Anze Kopitar at dash six? You know what? I'll tell you, there were players talking about it at the morning skate. I was at the morning skate on Thursday, Toronto, Philly, and there were players on both teams talking about that. Wow. Just eh? about how crazy it was that Kopitar was minus six. Like, the respect that Kopitar has around the league is immense. Huge, immense. Yeah. Like a yeah. couple of players were saying he's one of the nicest guys in the league. Um, I'm sure some of the Kings fans would wish like he would he would carve one of them with his stick so he wasn't seen as so nice sometimes. Hmm. But the respect that these players have for him is huge. And and they like one of them actually didn't know. He he said to me, Is it true that Kopitar had a bad Number last night, I go, he was minus six. His eyes bulged out. He goes, Kopitar was a minus six? <laughs> yeah, that's not a Kopitar number. Uh, no, that so that, that was that was obviously a huge, huge win for the Kings. And, and I'm really wondering here uh, what the Kings are going to do in, in goal. I, the, there are more teams here thinking that the Kings are going to, you know, Rob Blake is kind of, at the beginning of the year, is like, we have no cap room. We have to wait till Arvidsson gets back. Now Arvidsson's back. And I kind of want to see how this plays out. And Talbot was hot, and he goes to the All-Star game. And then Riddick was kind of hot. And now people are are just looking at this and going, there's no way they're letting this play out like this. They are gonna. They're gonna try for something. I I think one of the names that we're all thinking about is UC Saros. And if you watch the Dallas game against Nashville on Thursday night, you say to yourself, okay, maybe, you know, it is time for the Nashville Predators to start selling off, and maybe that begins with UC Saros. And we wonder about LA, and we wonder about Carolina. I'm sure there are other teams that have inquired about UC Saros. But your thoughts on the Nashville netminder at deadline? Well, first of all, an overall comment on on the Predators. I remember a few weeks into the season, I think they were 31st in the NHL. And they they recovered and they gave it a real good run. Like, I don't think anybody expected Nashville to be too good this year. But they made this interesting. They got into the race. They stayed in the race for a while. And... They've come out of their break and they have not been very good at all. And Brunette, he talked about they had a bad practice on Monday. They lose on Tuesday and he says they played like they practiced Monday. And then they get hammered Thursday night and what does he say? He says, we've got our minds on vacation, right? So like the frustration, his frustration is boiling over here a little bit. And I just, 
have to wonder, you know, Soros, I think he's a pretty solid guy, but I, I wonder if like we've gone from earlier in the year, like there's no way this is happening to now people are starting to think this could actually happen with Soros. And I just, we I just believe wonder the last the trade if- deadline though, Elliot, we, we, we yeah, but it last wasn't trade deadline too. But, but, but the thing about last trade deadline was someone came to them and people believe it was the Kings. Someone came to them and said, what about this? Like that one wasn't the predator shopping him. That was someone came to him and said, what if we do this? Right. And this year, like I said, earlier this year, like Barry Trott said, we're not trading Soros. And, and I think he made it very clear. They were going to talk to extend Soros and they considered him like basically Rene too in, in Nashville. And, and now look, before I would have thought it was 95 to five, they weren't trading him. Now, I don't know if I would say it's 50, 50, but what is it? What are we at? Like 75, 25. And I've got to think that's going through their room. You know, like they, all those players know how good Saros is. And I I just wonder, I, I just wonder if like everyone's realizing like, oh my goodness, like this could actually happen here. And, you know, the thing about Saros is, I think there's a couple of things at play. I, I think number one, you know, he's, he's got one more year left on his deal and then you have to extend him. And I wonder if the Predators are looking at what that might be and saying, I don't know. Number two, Askarov has gone from a young guy who you wanted to make sure, and now they've won, what, 15 in a row? Like, there's nothing he can do down there anymore. At some point in time, the guy's got to come up and play, and we're at that point here. He's going to have to play there next year. And the third thing, I think, is that Nashville feels they need to get some elite offensive talent. And if you have two choices at that, you can bottom out and play your luck in the lottery, which sometimes works, but sometimes it doesn't, or you can trade good for good. And they're not trading Yossi, and they're not trading Forsberg, and they're not going to trade one of their really good young players. So who could they move to get offense? And I think if they get a good offensive player, they're going to consider this. And I just wonder if that is kind of shaking some things there a little bit. We'll see where this one goes as well. I mean, do you have any problem with my theory here on this one? No, not at all. I mean, I would even go as far as to, I wonder, you know, if you're the Los Angeles Kings, knowing that the uh, Nashville Predators um, need goals, I would wonder about a player like Adrian Kempe. If we're just trying to make the money wash and trade him before his modified no trade kicks in. That to me, would again, this is just spitballing on a podcast, but that's, that's, I think that's the kind of deal we're probably talking about here. I mean, I think you're right. Like Nashville wants scoring. Nashville needs scoring. LA needs to stop the bleeding and needs someone that they can be successful with in net. So that that one would make a lot of sense to me. 
Um, here's uh, you know, I, got, I got to think Jersey's in that too. I think Jersey's in, I think, well, I mean, you've talked about Markstrom before here and on the, on, on hockey night in Canada, that, that story is well told. Uh, I would have to assume that if they're in on Markstrom, they're in on any other big goal yep. that can help them. So that yep. makes a ton of sense too. Uh, let me ask you about Jake Gensel. So it's a, uh, it's an injury. He's on LTI with the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's four weeks and that takes him past the March 8th trade deadline. Elliot, um, a couple of things. One, this may sharpen the focus on what Kyle Dubas needs to do, either add or sell, because he's out. If the Penguins can thrive without Jake Gensel and threaten for a playoff spot, well, then you don't move Jake Gensel. Maybe treat him as your own rental. Uh, they did win on Thursday night against the uh, uh, Chicago Blackhawks with the returning Connor Bedard, yep. we should add. Who, Great who to see. Fanta- who looked fantastic, we should add. <laughs> How different that team is with this rookie in the lineup. Um, but it carries, you know, Gensel goes past trade deadline here with the injury. How much does that complicate everything for Kyle Dubas or any team that wants to acquire? I think actually they consider themselves very lucky. Because it's not worse? Very Cause lucky. Because it's not worse. Yes. So I think everybody will take this, uh, that, that it's not worse that for Gensel. He'll rest and he'll be ready to play. And I don't think this changes anything I don't think this changes anything for anyone. The teams that are interested in Gensel can still be interested in Gensel because he's going to be available. And, you know, Pittsburgh, maybe they'll get a look at life without Gensel. But I, I think, look, we can all see where this is going with Pittsburgh anyway, that they have to make some change for the future. And I think people would be surprised if it doesn't happen. Uh, okay, uh, Thursday, you were at both the Maple Leafs and Philadelphia Flyers morning skate. Um, another win for the Toronto Maple Leafs without Morgan Riley. They've beaten St. Louis. Now they've beaten Philadelphia. This one was overtime, 4-3 to three is the final. Um, and Morgan Riley is appealing. His yes. suspension. The five-game suspension. <clears throat> this is a recording. Is this the way it's always going to be now? I wonder about because it's the third time this year, right? Yeah, it's like the, is this is this just going to be the knee jerk? Oh, it's actually the, the it's, okay, it's the fourth if you include Perron, but Perron's will go to an independent arbitrator. But it's the third one after McAvoy and Anderson Rasmus that will go to the that doesn't go to an independent arbitrator where Batman is the final level and nobody ever used to appeal these, and now that's three in a year. And we'll, we'll see what happens here. Bettman's upheld the last two. I would expect Bettman to uphold this one. Um, you know, he has decreased one in recent years, and that was Jason Spezza. Now, the Spezza one could have gone to the independent arbitrator because it was initially six games, but Bettman reduced it to four, and Spezza took it. And the, But the reason Bettman reduced that one is because Neil Pionk, the player that was injured by Spezza, return to play sooner than expected. If you go back and you read the decision, that was the major determining factor for for Bettman to reduce that suspension because Pionk returned faster than what was expected. That's not applicable here. You know, Ridley Gregg didn't miss any time. And so I, it's not the same comparison, but it is. it does look like a new normal here, Jeff. Yes. I mean, it's not a coincidence. By the way, I got to tell you a good story. I got to tell you a good story. Yeah. What do you got? So I have a friend who's now no longer in the hockey business, 
but he used to do some work in the Western Hockey League. And he reached out to me after the uh, after that play, the, the, the Riley Gregg thing. And he reminded me that when he was still in the hockey business in the WHL, he's a big Leaf fan, he implored the Maple Leafs to draft Ridley Gregg. Oh, he yeah? said that he will be your new Nazem Kadri in all of the good ways. So a skilled player that annoys the other team to no end. Which, you know, we've seen is kind of true. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, like I, I have to say, you know, you know, Greg's a hell of a player and he has really leaned into this. But And so have the Senators. But I, I thought that was really interesting that and uh, that uh he, he and he did tell me that years ago i forgot but he reached out to remind me of that this week huh. i think he's in the financial industry now but okay. he when he worked in the whl and i don't know who from toronto he spoke to i don't think it was like dubis or anything like that but he said he spoke to some toronto people and said you guys have to take this guy he will be hmm. cadre light and He's sure right about that. <laughs> Already working up the ire. Um, meanwhile, Philadelphia Flyers, uh, with the Rasmus Ristolainen situation right now, does that take... And you, th- and you this think this is, is long-term, right? I, I I don't know. I wonder if this is long-term. I, I really uh, do. Just the, the fact that it is so quiet around it just makes me wonder whether this is longer than just a couple of weeks. But yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if this one's long-term at all. Well, I, 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 my I, I, my experience is if we're looking if if we're gonna know in a couple of days, it's it's brace for the worst, hope for the best. That is my experience. Yeah. So if it is the worst and it is longer than a couple of weeks here, given that the Philadelphia Flyers are one of the surprise teams in the NHL, and I know that you know Briere and Jones and Tortorella have always said eyes on the prize. If we get the right deal, guess what? You're in. You have a new zip code or postal code if you get shipped to Canada. But I, I just can't help but, but wondering if if Ristolainen and his situation uh, drags on to the end of the season with this injury, does that mean that they don't move Sean Walker? And maybe they don't make any moves at all. I, I don't know about this. I, I think, like, there's a long time. There's still, a, there's still three weeks, right? So right now we're in that, we're, we're playing poker right now, right? It's poker time. It's it's the player trying to get the best deal he can and the team trying to get the best deal they can. So you've got player negotiating with team, team negotiating with player, but at the same time teams negotiating with player, they're putting their name out there and saying, what can we get for them? Like I, I've heard the price for Sealer is very high, which and teams take that to mean they want to sign Sealer, and if Sealer takes what they're offering, because I think there's a limit to what Philly will do here, that's going to get done. I think Philly wants to keep Walker, but I think that was also predicated on they've got a lot of bodies. Now, if they can't move Ristolainen, potentially, what does that mean for Walker? We better make sure we have him out there and I do think there's interest in Walker too obviously 
Lawton to me is is a really interesting one in the sense that, like, I do wonder about a team like the Rangers with Lawton. I've heard that that's the kind of player that they're interested in, and I think he could be perfect for them. Um, but again, it's you know if you're looking at the first rounder for the rentals that have gone, Lindholm and Monahan. If you're Philly, are you moving Lawton if you don't get better than that? So I think we're right now we're in the we're in the big poker game. And the big poker game is what hits first? And Lawton's a bit different, but with like Sealer and Walker, what hits first? They say yes to my number or I get what I want. Hmm. That's where we are. You know which team I wonder about with uh with Scott Lawton? Who's that? The, Buff, the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, that, that's another good one. That, that's a that, team that needs uh, maybe a different veteran mix, needs to be a little tougher. Uh, they do have what Philly wants, and that is, and you've talked about this before, a lot of prospects that they're going to have to start turning into players sooner than later. That's the team that I like. Rangers make a lot of sense, obviously. I also do wonder about the Buffalo Sabres. Here. Yeah, you know, like a Krebs or something like that. I assume plus. Like that's that's the kind of thing that I could I could see. That makes that makes a lot of sense to me. It's just me spitballing, but yes, I I, I think that's that's right too. But we're in the middle of that sort of poker game, and I and I do hate to talk about people like that, but it's the best explainer. I can give to the public. You know, I have to say, while we're you're taping cal- this, you're very callous, by the way. I am a callous person. Sure. Yes, I am a callous person. I work in the media business, callous business. Cynical, Just callous. Strips cheating. your humanity. Yeah. How? Uh, so while we're recording this, Zadorov just did the gritty to Jake Wallman. Oh my. Elliot, did you know what the gritty was before this week? Like, how unhip do you think I am? Seriously, I know what the gritty <laughs> I can't do it, but I know what it is. Of all the time... Dom, the, go, oh, back to your, go back of to your all, cave. Of all the times for Dom to chime, chime in, it's on that. <laughs> well, hipster, you know what? Hipster Dom check time, yeah. chimes in. You know how many hipsters it takes to change a light bulb, Elliot? How many? Ah, it's kind of a rare number. You probably haven't heard of it. Oh, that's so bad. By the way, I just want to say some of you aggregators are morons. <laughs> Why is that? Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Okay. You know what's interesting? Remember last year where the big theme at around trade deadline was everybody west was going east and Boston loaded up and yep. Toronto loaded up. Like teams loaded up in the Eastern Conference, right? This was very much a thing. Everybody's going east. All the trades are are west to east, west to east. Does it not seem like we're getting the reverse this trade deadline? Like if you have a look around at the uh, the, the Western Conference, for example, like who's going to make moves? Edmonton's going to bring something in. LA's going to bring something in. Vancouver's going to bring something in. Vegas is going to bring something in. Colorado's going to bring something in. Dallas is going to bring something in. I still wonder about Winnipeg, even though they've made a big move already. You know, they may bring something in as well. And then you look around the Eastern Conference, and I think we can see Carolina making a move. The Rangers are really married to that first-round draft pick, so even if they want to make a move, how much do they have to play with? 
Um, not sure that Toronto is going to be able to make a move. Two defensemen out for Tampa. Are they going to be able to make a move? Florida doesn't have very much to give up or wants to give up through all of this. The Boston Bruins made all their huge moves last year. Do you think we're seeing a scenario where it is everyone last year was west to east and this year it's east to west? I don't know. I don't know if I'm that esoteric. I think Edmonton's going to do something. I, re- I I just don't believe Rutherford is done. Like I, I just think he could do anything. The one thing I think Rutherford uh, considers is they have had a really good chemistry for a lot of this year. Like how much do you want to tinker with it? But I know his MO. He could do anything. We've talked about LA. Vegas has been really quiet. You know, Vegas has been really quiet, but you know my you know my theory there. Left side. Left side. Dallas, I think, is looking at a right shot D, like a Tanev type, or maybe somebody with term. I don't think they want to give up a one for a rental. You know, Colorado's looking. There's no question about that. You know, one of the things I think Winnipeg has really thought about is Hainola. And he was hurt for a lot of this year. And I know their fans are very impatient for him. But, you know, Sheveldayoff has shown one thing. He's very, very patient. And I do think they want to give Hainola some time to play. But I don't think he's out of their radar. I think they want to see, you know, what he looks like with some playing time. Um, you know, the, the thing, though, is, like, we know the Rangers are looking to make deals. We know the Leafs are looking, but they're really limited in what they can do. I still think Boston's out there lurking. I don't want to proclaim, like, who's number one in the East right now? Florida. And I do think they're the best team in the East, and not just because they made it to the Stanley Cup final last year. I do think, like, Lindell has struggled this year. I think they got to get him back to where he can go. I think Ekman Larson, even though he's lost a lot of his time, he's made a good blue line a lot better. Uh, Again, I think if you're Florida, I know they don't have a lot, but you could win. What's your weakness? What are you trying to seal up there? And I'll tell you something too, like Bill Zito, he is a like he's a tough negotiator. He used to be an agent, so he's done this from both sides of the table. A couple guys said to me about Zito, if he thinks someone wants to stay and stay in Florida, like that's the advantage of players wanting to be in the in the state of Florida, he knows he can go past the deadline. I think they're really good. I think they are really good. I don't disagree with you on the Cats. That team is super legit. And here's another thing. Don't look now, but Matthew Kachuk is very much back. Remember all the conversation at the beginning of the season about, oh, what's happened to Matthew Kachuk falling off the map? Uh, what's what, what what's wrong with Matthew Kachuk? Since the calendar flipped, Elliot, this is going into Thursday night's games. Since the calendar flipped... Leading scorer in the NHL, just from January 1st to Thursday before the puck dropped. Number one, Matthew Kachuk, 32 points. Nathan McKinnon, 29. Connor McDavid, 29. Nikita Kucherov, 29. 
David Pasternak, 27. Going into Thursday, 2024, number one, Matthew Kachuk, 32 points. Florida just got better. Elliot. Well, because the thing with them is, remember how battered they were at the end of last year. Oh. Kachuk couldn't play. Montour and Ekblad were out. And one of the reasons I think they're really good is they more than held their water while all these guys were out. And now they come back and they're healthy and they've caught up to speed. It's an impressive team. Uh, let's finish up this A block here by reminding everybody that's uh, still to come on today's show. Elliot and I sat down with Alan Doyle, ex of Great Big C, uh, celebrating 30 years in the music industry. This is a fun conversation. Just put out a new album called Welcome Home. This is a lot of talk about hockey, his love for Montreal, the Montreal Canadiens, and a lot on his music as well. So that's still to come in the uh, in the third block of the program. Uh, when we come back, Montana Stotline, also still to come, Alan Doyle. The podcast continues. Don't go anywhere. Listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Okay, it's time for Elliot's favorite segment, the Montana's Thoughtline, Montana's Barbecue and Bar, Canada's home for barbecue. Take it away, Elliot. Try the ribs. 32thoughts, sportsnet.ca. That's the email address, 32thoughts at sportsnet.ca for the voicemail, 1-833-311-3232. Lauren is going to kick it off today. She submits this. I'm sure no one has asked any questions about this, but in regards to Riley's hearing, when the Department of Players Safety always says that they've offered an in-person hearing, mm-hmm. does that mean a player can decline it? If yes, what happens then? Yes, a player can decline it. I believe that's happened before. I want to say Rafi Torres uh, had declined one once because he's just been through them before. But if it's not Torres, I know I know some players have declined it before. It just goes ahead on the phone or by Zoom or whatever. Basically, the reason you offer an in-person hearing is to give the option to suspend for six games or more. You can't suspend for that without the offering of an in-person hearing. If someone says no, it doesn't change the possibility that that suspension can be offered. Now, I will say this. Most people tell me you take the hearing because you want to look in someone's eyes. I've had a couple people tell me they think that's BS, but most of the cases, (laughs) I know that people have taken the hearing. I can't see George Perro saying, you know what, it was going to be five, but he really looked sorry, so it's going to be a two. <laughs> I just can't see George Perro's, uh going along with that one. But nonetheless, uh, that is an excellent question. Lauren, thank you for the, uh, for the email. Uh, Zach in Grand Rapids. Hello, Jeff, Elliot, and J-Dom. I'm a born and raised Michigander with J-Dom, I know. Lifelong Red Wings fan, as well as a thorough enjoyer of petty arguments between Jeff and Elliot. Wallman's OT penalty shot goal against Vancouver, this would have been last weekend, folks, got me thinking, since assists are arbitrary participation points anyway, wouldn't it make sense, okay, wouldn't it make sense for players to receive assists on a penalty shot goal? Since the purpose of a penalty shot is to replay a breakaway 
that was impeded by an infraction, shouldn't passes that led to the initial breakaway still be counted as assists? Love the pod. I hope this makes Elliot's eyes roll to the back of his head. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, I did play with a guy uh, who was a good passer when I was younger who did feel that way. On a penalty shot, he should get an assist if he set up the penalty shot. Uh, so I'm not surprised that this is out there, but I'm assuming you know the answer. Well, no, I mean it's just an it's just an it's just an opinion question. Like, should they be given an assist? Because I remember, you know what, you and I talked about this. I don't even know if you remember this. You and I talked about this months ago, and I went back because I had I had I had sent a message to one of the managers that I know about the idea. And I went back and looked for it. And I, I found it through my phone today. And this is what he said to me. I'd vote no. Nothing that happens before a whistle gets on an assist before a goal that happens after a whistle. That was his thought. And I thought about this more this morning. And you know what I came up with? What's that? Here's what I thought. If you're going to go as far as to award someone an assist on a penalty shot, do you not then have to award plus minuses for everybody else who is on the ice? And is that a road that you want to go down? So originally, my first thought was, you know what, I might be warm to the idea, but then when it got in my head that a penalty shot is going to affect the plus or a minus for someone who wasn't on the ice for the penalty shot, was only on the ice for the infraction, I kind of turned around on the whole idea. Because if the goal is scored, the player who scores the goal is the only one that gets a plus there. It shouldn't be everybody else. I'm fair with that. I got to tell you, I don't really have a strong opinion one way or the other. But selfish okay. assist guys that I used to play with, <laughs> that's kind of a misnomer, eh? Selfish assist guy. But selfish yeah. assist guys that I used to play with, they argued that they should get a point. Let's get to a voicemail here. Alex in St. Louis. Hey, guys. Alex from St. Louis here, where we always tell people to try the ribs. Oh. A trapezoid rule question for you. It feels like it's a call that's coming up less and less these days, but was thinking about a weird corner case. If a goalie makes a sliding or diving save and that momentum takes them back into the restricted area with the puck behind the goal line, could that be a penalty? Thanks for the podcast. Keep up the great work, guys. Bye. This one's interesting. I assume you asked someone. I did ask someone about it, but there wasn't a definite answer to it that I got. But here's, based on what this person told me, and what I believe as well. Um, the one, first of all, the one thing that I've always wondered about, Elliot, and I've never got an answer to it, although I believe the answer is it's not a penalty. What if a goaltender is, for whatever reason, out in the corner and someone shoots a puck at that goaltender in the corner? Is it an automatic penalty because they've touched the puck in that area? I don't think the answer is penalty, but I don't know. But what I got back was to this person, uh, Alex in St. Louis's momentum carrying them into the area outside the trapezoid. One, if it's a far distance, the play would have already been whistled down by the time they got there. The other would be if they were already out there around that area and froze the puck and went back in, it would probably be called delay of game. That's what the call would. That's what what the call would be. But do you have a thought on, like, this, I'm just going to take this in a totally different direction. And I'll actually do some homework about it later on this week and find out the answer. If a goaltender is already caught in that position and the puck hits them, is it a penalty? I don't know. 
I don't know either. I don't know. <laughs> my Elliot, I my, don't know. My my answer would tend to be yes, and I'll tell you why. I don't think it should be. This okay. is based on this is based on no real actual evidence. Just thinking about something. Look, they're not out there to play the puck. They honestly get hit by a shot. They shouldn't get a penalty. But Jeff, what happens if a team is changing? And an opponent intentionally shoots. I hate the puck. that. I hate it. I hate it. But it's I hate a penalty. It. I know. I know. But I hate it, Elliot. Like, well, first of you all, you like, shouldn't what, what, do what it. I, so some because I, someone ugh. could do it to you. Oh, it's so bad. I can't stand it. So I got to tell you a story. My my first oh. year at Western, they were going to play Ryerson, and Ryerson was really terrible at the time. Okay, and like they were losing games like 18 to 1, 20 to 1, like they were just an awful team. And the year before, I was I was working on a story cuz I was covering them about playing against Ryerson and one of the players told me the year before that they were tied late in the game and one of the western players shot the puck at the Ryerson bench on a line change and they got a power play and they won the game gross i hate it they were called and by the way i I should mention it it's not it's called by a different name now they don't use tmu yeah tmu TMU. don't use that name anymore but they went back to the room and the western players went after the one guy who did it they were like you don't do that and he said he said good i could not stand the possibility of not beating them. They were so bad. I couldn't tolerate it. <laughs> Here's why I, I hate that. Like to the point where I agree with you. I think it's a weak move. Very weak. I think move. it's I think one of the most unique parts about hockey is that you change players while the game is still in play. While there is still motion of players that are on the ice, you're allowed to to switch players off and bring new players on. I think it's one of the one of the one of the key attractions that we take for granted in the game of hockey. It doesn't happen in other sports. It happens in hockey. It does happen in some others, but basically, you don't see that in football. You don't see that in baseball. You don't see that in basketball. You get it in hockey. It is so unique, and that's why every time I see a player deliberately throwing the puck at someone who's making a line change. To get a play, I say you are trying to destroy one of the most unique things or take advantage of one of the most unique things in this game, the line change while the game is going on to the point where, Elliot, I would treat that like puck over the glass. You do that deliberately, you get the penalty. I'll go that far. How about you? I I don't have a problem with that. I think it's a chicken bleep move, to be perfectly honest. I'm with you. Okay, we agree on something. Quick, end the segment. <laughs> Montana's thought line, Montana's barbecue and bar. Before we start arguing again, Canada's home for barbecue. 32 thoughts at sportsnet.ca. one 311 Those are the ways to get in. All right, excitement coming up after the break. Alan Doyle, new album, new music, 30 years in the industry. And we're talking hockey with the great Newfoundlander after this. Before we get back to our regular programming, we need to talk about our partner, Montana's Barbecue and Bar. Taco Boat. 
Really? That's right. With $5 tacos available every Tuesday, satisfy any taco craving when you try their seasoned grilled chicken, Mexi spiced beef, Kapow shrimp, or mixed veggie options. Mix and match to try them all or add one to the side of your favorite Montana's item. $5 tacos at Montana's Barbecue and Bar every Tuesday. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. Welcome back to 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the GMC, Sierra, and all of our good friends there. Now, who doesn't love Alan Doyle? Who didn't love Great Big C uh, before they broke up? Heck, they've been broken up for a while. We still love their music as well. Um, Alan Doyle still very much recording music, still touring as well. Uh, has a brand new album out called Welcome Home. Spoiler, it's excellent. We're going to play a part of a track here coming up in a little bit. But earlier on this week, Elliot and I sat down with the great Alan Doyle and talked about hockey and Gila Fleur and Montreal and Hurleys and hangovers and playing hockey against NHLers and talked about music and the new album and his two big loves, hockey and music. Enjoy. Okay, Elliot, joining us now is someone who is, um, how shall we say, uh, been riding the musical Tiger for 30 years and just released his 20th <laughs> album. He is the one and only Alan Doyle, and he joins us on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Alan, first of all, congratulations. Uh, when you reach Thanks mementos so like this and, and dates like this, it's always a cause for for pause and celebration. 20th album, 30 years in the industry. You know, there's a there's an old uh, British World War One saying, which is, I went for my country, but I stayed for my friends if you can take us back yeah. to the beginning and then where you are now why did you start and how have you endured well i'll tell you i'll, t- I'll answer in reverse order okay. the great celebration that you mentioned for joining for making it to the to the 30 year <laughs> thing and and, and for, i just released my 20th record and i did the holiest of uh, pilgrimages for people from Atlantic Canada, especially here in Newfoundland, uh, like a a, 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 a most uh, famous boys' weekend here is to go to Montreal for the Super Bowl weekend. Oh yeah, because mm-hmm. you know the Habs have those two uh, afternoon <laughs> yes. games. Yes, and you plow in there. Uh, you fly in as early as you can on Saturday. You go directly to the rink and watch the first afternoon Habs game. Mm-hmm. Then you usually go to Hurley's and and let yes, the, <laughs> then you don't need anything. You don't need to say anything else about that. That's that night taken care of right there. Oh, wow. Then you stumble your way over to uh, game number two, and then you go to whatever chicken wing place will have you, and you watch the uh, Super Bowl. And then you wake up Monday morning with a heavy head and you fly home. And that's exactly what I just did, and it was fantastic. <laughs> I couldn't think of a better celebration. Only problem was my Habs lost. Yeah. My Habs lost both games. Other than that, it was a great. Tough one, but nonetheless. And and here we are uh, recording this on a Tuesday. Have you recovered yet? Yeah. It took me all of Monday. All of Monday was... (laughs) Yeah, and going back to the very beginning of it, you know, I grew up in a little fishing town just... you know, 20 kilometers or so south of St. John's where I live now in a little fishing town called Petty Harbor. And I, um, you know, I, I was born into the band, you know, I was born hmm. into the Doyle family and, and they were the band that played for the weddings and the funerals and for the dances and for, you know, and, and I just sort of learned all my musical lessons the easy way, you know, didn't even know I was learning them and, and, and went, you know, all paid my way through, you know, university playing in bands. And, and as soon mm-hmm. as I got out, Sean, and Bob and Daryl asked me to join to form a new band, and we, which became Great Big C, and and then that was in 1993, and then we got signed like to Warner in Canada in '95, and then over the next you know 10 or 15 years we got signed to 
you know, labels in the U.S. and Germany and Europe and Australia and all over the place. And and uh, and then, um, you know, as soon when Great Big C stopped playing in 2014, I formed my own band and and this I just released my sixth or seventh record with that gang and I'm about to do a you know, a 40 or 50 date tour in in North America between now and the summer. So off we go. Now, I got a lot of questions that come out of this. But first of all, my only disappointment with you, Alan, is that you're closest <laughs> to Toronto on the trade deadline on a Saturday night, March 8th in Hamilton. That's the trade deadline. And March oh, yeah. 9th is a Saturday. So I don't ask <laughs> off for work on Saturdays, but I did think about it in this particular case. I, I did want to ask you of the current Canadians, like the new generation of yeah. Canadians, who are your favorites? Who do you like watching? It was great to watch like in person because I haven't because the pandemic hit and all that stuff and I haven't actually seen a game in person uh, in a while and so I saw two this weekend. I tell you who was extremely impressive on the, on the Saturday and that was Montebo. He was very. I mean, mm. they lost three two in a bit of a nail biter, but he's. I think he stopped forty one shots or something. Like he was amazing. Uh, Suzuki looks amazing. Yeah. Um, um, Caulfield, of course, looks incredible. Uh, Number twenty, the uh, the new kid, Slavkovsky. I forget how to pronounce it. Slavkovsky, yeah. the number one. Very pick. impressive. Very impressive uh, as well. And of course, you know, and I'm not just being a home. Here we go, here. Alex Newhook. Here we go, come on, Alex yes. Newhook. What are you going to do? What do you, you think I'm crazy? I'm not going to plug Alex. <laughs> they they throw you off the island if you didn't. Yeah. So I, I totally understand. Say something yes. about Dawson in, in Mercer. My defense, quick. Say something about Dawson in, Mercer in New Jersey. Fast. That's right. In my defense, you know, if 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 Tr or or Ryder or, or Langer, any of those guys were still on the team, I'd be plugging them too. So, you know, we're all about the same age. I know you were a big Canadians fan. Who was your favorite yeah. player growing up? Was it Lafleur? Ken Dryden. Ken Dryden. Ken Dryden. Easy, yeah. Can't can't I mean, fault that. Like, I always loved to because the. Um, I was such a hockey fan. I remained so, but I was I was born in '69, and so I was and and. In the late seventies, you know, when I was like seven, eight, nine, ten, that that time, that was when the Habs won four in a row, right? And they had mm-hmm. you know, Ganey and Lafleur and Dryden, the and, Blue Line, etc. That massive team. And what was what I found the most fascinating is that, of course, we only had the one station, like most of rural Canada, you know, to watch on television. So you know, mm-hmm. when when Hockey Night in Canada came on on Saturday night, it was like holy ground, right? And uh, and um, I would watch the Habs in Toronto or New York or, you know, the teams that you saw Boston saw, you saw a lot of those teams in that time. And, and all the cities kind of looked similar and the rinks all kind of looked similar to me, except Montreal. Montreal looked like a fashion show, man. Back in the, like everyone mm. was there with fur coats on. They were all smoking behind the bench. The ladies <laughs> mm-hmm. were all dressed to the nines watching the hockey. And I was like, I don't, I don't know why, I don't know anything about this place called Montreal, but I want to go there. I want to check that <laughs> out. And it's, it's remained a dear place. Like to this, so I fell in love with the Habs, but then I fell in love with the city, right? It's sort of totally vicariously through, you know, through the television. And, uh, and I mean, I, I didn't get, to, we didn't have any money or anything. So I, I didn't get to travel until really until Great Big Sea started. And I was, you know, in my early mid twenties, by the time I actually finally got to go to Montreal, couldn't believe it. Wait, wait. Now you were, that would also would have had meant 
a Newfoundlander on television, Bob Cole. And uh, I was very lucky when I started my hockey night career to do a lot of games with Bob Cole. But I would imagine for somebody who's from there, like you are, it's bigger than just listening to a great play-by-play person on TV. Oh, well, Bob is one of those guys. And he would, you know, he would like, he would be getting mad at us for even talking about this. Bob was one of the guys without ever trying to just made it made stuff seem possible for us, right? You know, I mean, how if we're a band from Petty Harbor now playing accordions and singing about shanties and stuff, nobody from Toronto is going to listen to you, you mm-hmm. know, nobody from Quebec is going to, you know, whatever. And then, you know, and then this little place, and then the guy who's on the one show we watch together every week was led by him. You know, and like, and the, like the voice you heard was one of our voices, you know? And so it was like, it just, it not only was important for hockey, but I think it was important for everything, you know? And like, well, I finally got to meet Bob, um, officially kind of like, i had been said hello in an airport a couple of times, but we, Great BC played the all-star game in, um, Colorado in Denver. And I, I don't know, it would have been early 2000s maybe or 2004 mm-hmm. or whenever it might have been, something like that. And it was we, we, we sang in the first intermission and then after the second intermission or something, they asked, they, they came to us and said, would you, would you guys like to come up and meet Bob? And I was like, yeah. So I went <laughs> up to the, you know, up to the top of the rink and the, and there was Bob, you know, and, and, and Harry Neal were calling the game and I was just like, this is the coolest thing. <laughs> and of course, you can imagine over the years, because one of the things that most people would, I think your listeners would probably be very surprised to learn, is that Bob Cole never moved. Bob Cole still yep. lives here. Yep. He lives mm-hmm. about a kilometer from where I'm sitting right now. Bob Cole flew up every Friday and flew home every Sunday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes Saturday mornings, you know, to do the games. And, and only the playoffs would he go for an extended period of time. So... Since since that when we finally met and knew each other, I mean, I must have sat on the plane because I, you know, playing a band for a living. We're, we're usually flying home on Sundays, and of course, Bob Cole in the winter is flying home every Sunday. And so we we sat on the airplane together, literally hundreds of times over the years, and, and just a and it was the, one of the funniest things about Bob, of course, other, you know, other than the great stories and all that stuff he has, is that he has no idea that he's like Casey Kasem. You know what I mean? The second mm-hmm. he opens his mouth, everybody for a kilometer around knows exactly who it is, knows exactly what voice it is. And it was like, it was incredible, like, to sit next to him all the time. And, 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 and yeah, I must say, I, it was, I miss him. I kind of miss him being on the air. Mm-hmm. Um, what, and let me stick with Bob Cole here, because um, let, let me see. We all do. Let me see, yeah, let me see if, if, if you think that I'm on the right track here as a musician. Um I think the reason people from coast to coast to coast love Bob Cole is because he didn't as much call the games as he did sing them. And here's what I'm here's what I mean. You could be standing in your kitchen making dinner on a Saturday night and the TV is in the living room. And from Bob Cole's voice because he has a number of different levels that he works at. You could tell how important that moment was at that game. Yeah just by hearing the tone of his voice. And it was like the melody in a symphony would rise and fall and rise and go away and then return. Honestly, Alan, I really do think that it was more singing than play-by-play, agree or disagree? 100%, and like the tone of his voice dictated what uh, was happening, you know, as much as what your eyes were looking at. And and what I used to love about Bob too is like when the, when you know, when the situation was, was urgent and earnest it, 
he he was. But it kind of also went the other way, and I used to love him for that too. It was like, well, this is you know, in the third period, he'd be like, yeah, it's not much of a game here tonight, folks. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh my god, are you allowed to say that? I think you just said that. Of course, Bob would say whatever he wanted. You know. That's Nobody was going to stop him. Nope. Nobody no. was going to stop him once. By McLeod, you know, <laughs> you're like, oh my God. <laughs> now, did you play much? Did you play much? Yeah. Yeah, I played tons. And uh, I played, mm-hmm. um, you know, all through. All did all you play Juno Cop much and st- anything like that with Ron or no, anything I, like I, that? No, I, the, the, we, we had a, little, a, a good little um, minor hockey uh, set up in the Ghouls, which was the farming town up mm-hmm. just up from uh, Petty Harbor where I grew up and uh, guys uh, like Alan Hocko you know my actor friend Alan of course Alan sort of went through yeah. he's quite a good hockey player his older brother Greg is my age and we were the two goalies for the ghouls team and Greg is the principal percussionist and come from away now we were in our first band together and all that stuff so that's how far we go back and so I played hockey all through and I when I went to university so 18 or whatever just when you're about to start to I played one season of junior here in St. John's and the, the, you know, it was like eight teams or whatever, like 16 goalies. I said, there's 16 goalies in this league. 14 of them, 14 of them are way better than me already. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to university and I'm playing in three different bands. I I think I have to pick if I'm going to pick being a goalie (laughs) or being a guitar player. And, uh, and then I, you know, so I stopped playing them and then when the band started traveling a lot, I didn't play for a number of years. And then on my 30th birthday, uh, my wife and uh, and a bunch of people got together and rented the ice and and and, and got me a, some of the St. John's Maple Leafs goalie equipment. Ah! And, and it hmm. started about 15 years of more hockey, and I played a ton. And and uh, and I only stopped playing really like in probably five, six years ago in my late 40s, hmm. uh, just because I figured I was going to hurt myself too bad if I... You know, uh, play goalie beyond. Once you play goalie beyond fifty, you're you're running <laughs> you're running the risk of. And but one of my Johnny Bauer ones, thinks you're soft, by the way. Yeah, you know, I tell you, there's so lots you know. of things. I had a good look at some of the Habs alumni over the weekend, and I can confirm for you that Johnny Bauer is correct. <laughs> I am soft compared to them. I shook Rajon Ull's hand over the weekend, and I thought my, my I, I, he still looks dis- good. It almost disappeared, like up to my wrist. Like I couldn't, find, like it was incredible. And, uh, but like I've done some fun, so many fun hockey things, like playing in celebrity tournaments over the years and all that, playing against some of the, you know, the, the, uh, just, you know, what they call the, uh, the alumni and stuff. And I remember, like, yep. I was, I knew I was getting a bit too old for it when it was like I was in my mid 40s or late 40s or something like that. And we were going to play, uh, you know, against the, you know, the, the uh, the the uh, older guys, you know, the old the old NHL guys, and I, I looked at mm-hmm. I looked at the lineup. And went, Two of these guys are younger than me, mm-hmm. and then I remember watching Kirk Muller come down the come down the thing. And I was and, and you know how fit he is, and I was just like, oh, this is not going to be good. This is <laughs> this is not good. This is not going. And uh, but I had so much fun and great stories playing in those games. I loved Juno Cup and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Yes. And, but my fave thing, I swear to God, my favorite hockey thing that ever happened to me in my life was in. I was playing a ton of hockey around St. John's, and um, this would have been, I don't know, early 2000s, I suppose, and the St. John's Maple Leafs uh, still had the franchise here in town, and I knew Nick and uh, Sean Thornton, Nick, Nick Adijib was the um, was the trainer for the team. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, I can't remember who the coach would have been. It might have been Quinn. No. 
Crawford, maybe Crawford. Can't remember. Uh, Doug Shedden. The uh, but uh, I, I'm not sure if I remember the coach. Okay. I think about, it, but I, I know that Sean Thornton was on that team. Uh, Kevin Adams was on that team. Wow. Well, uh, yeah. And the goalies. Um, uh, uh, what what's the toss? Not to- Vesa Toskala. Vesa Toskala, I think. Vesa Toskala. Yeah, and uh, and. Um, Anyway, the, I think you're talking about Lou Crawford was the coach. That's probably, who I think yeah, you're that's talking probably, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And then, but anyway, somebody got hurt, and somebody got called. Marcel Cousineau was another goalie they had there, and they, and they, they, somebody got called up, and somebody got hurt, and they only had one goalie for practice. So, so they let they let me come in and sit in on a on a pro practice. Oh yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> it was absolutely one of the greatest. And most terrifying forty-five minutes of my life. <laughs> How many saves did you make? How many saves oh, did you t- make? The guys just lobbed them at my chest. You know. Oh, they did, eh? They weren't trying to like, okay, let's. We're going to show this guy how hard this is. Yeah. Well, I we did. We had first of all, I did the stupid thing and tried to do the skating drills when they went out first. Mm. No, I'll participate in the skating drills. And, and the and Nick was like, "Are you sure?" And I was like, "Oh yeah." And I'll be playing. You know, I play a couple couple of beer league games a week. I'm sure I'm fine. <laughs> oh my God. I thought I was going to have like a coronary, like and, and after 10 minutes. And then, you know, there was a little scrimmage and there was a bunch of shots and the guys were, was, we had just so much fun. It was incredible to see their skill set, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, the couple of the more skilled players would come down and go like, just, just hold your glove up, just hold it up. You know, and I and they'd wing it right into the middle of my gloves. So I'd do a full windmill. It was fantastic. Oh, that's great. But before we finished, I remember saying to Sean Thornton, who you know is high up in the Florida uh, racket down there now, and doing a great job. Um, when the practice was over, I said to Sean Thornton, "I said, man, can you take a slap shot?" And he's like, "Alan, I'm not taking this." First, he said, "He said I don't know where it goes when I take a slap shot," and he and he said, "Get one of the boys to take a slap shot." So he got Jamie Hewitt, and and Jamie's like, "Oh, dude, I'm, you don't want to do that." And I was like, "I really do. I want to see what it's like." And he said, "Okay, well," and they they got I got a net. And he said, "Okay, just you know, get in your stance." And he said, "And I'm going to let I'm going to just rifle it at you." And he said, "You won't get hurt if you don't move." He said, "If it misses you, don't reach for it. Don't go sticking your leg out and hit you or whatever." So Jamie Heward ripped three at me, and and he went to get three more, and I said, "No, that's good. Just three is good." <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, it was fantastic." Let me, um, so, you know, still the, did was, and did any of them hit you? Oh God, yes! Right in the chest, three of them. <laughs> and how did it feel? Not good. Not great. <laughs> oh my God! It was enough to convince me that I should go play play mandolin for a living. <laughs> <laughs> the, listen, all of our ears are grateful uh, that it uh, that 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 stint in net encouraged you to become uh, become more of a musician. Um, I want to I want to read a quote. This is my favorite quote about Newfoundland, and it comes from a uh, former uh, uh, federal politician, John Crosby who said, you can always tell the Newfies in heaven, they're the only ones who want to go home. What is it about Newfoundland? I don't know. It's kind of an island thing in a way that you see globally, but it's even exaggerated here. And it's funny, the title track on the record is called Welcome Home. And it's it's written Mm -hmm. about this very topic. And it's, and it's, it's really, it's all about the compulsion of Newfoundlanders to, to, first of all, we, we're, we're, we're almost always forced to leave here to find work and to find opportunity and employment. And then we all dying to get back all the time. Now I'm one of the lucky few who's managed to make work for myself 
uh, in and out of here, and I come and go all the time. And but for most people, they leave and they go to work in the you know northern Alberta, or they go to work in Cambridge or Halifax or wherever they go, and and they're dying to get back all the time. They come back for Christmas and they come back for weddings and they come back for the summer and they come back, and you know it's the that that welcome home notion is something that lives in in the in the air out here. You know that 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 this place is not just where uh, it's not just where you're from. It's kind of where you belong. You know, and like it's just it's a it's a strange and wonderful fact mm-hmm. that Mr. Crosby hit the nail on the head as he often did. <laughs> it's such a wonderful quote. It's, and yeah, I, I let me if I can just follow it up about about your musical career as well. Um, like you've laid before us an impressive, you know, body of work and there's songs that are going to be, you know, with us, you know, forever. Um, but I will put dancing like we did last night up against all of it. Uh, I can't get that song out of my head. I can't, it's one, it's got, it's, it's got the thing. I don't know what it is. It's got the thing for me. Uh, dancing like we did last night is like, when I hear it, I, I, I I hum it the, the rest of the day. Um, yeah, it's got, it's it's there's a joy in the recording of that one i mean it's really the the song is really written in that kind of um in the form of like um of of a of a big celtic pub night out kind of thing yep the the lyric in it is really about sort of you know imagining the greatest night of your life and and usually you wake to the morning after and you have to leave it behind but what if you don't you know what if you hmm. what if you don't what if you keep that feeling with you and you keep that sense of freedom and and, and optimism and and willingness to adv- you know to find adventure and all what if that stayed with you what would your life be like if that stayed with you and then hmm. and then hmm. and then of course my favorite I wrote it with my friend Donovan Woods who's one of the greatest songwriters in the country and then at the end it has that what I what I always call the uh, the the centerfold trick you know what I'm talking about no what's the centerfold trick. The centerfold trick in music bands of what I was called, you know, Jay, uh, hmm. Jay Giles band, yeah, of right? Course, yeah. Angel is it? centerfold. Yeah. And, and, you know, they have the same kind of da 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 to you as a musician, what makes that song work? Like I, I love Kendall Carson. I think she's phenomenal and she's such a big, big part of that song. But for you, like what makes that song work? Well, first of all, I will say this. Um, If I totally knew the answer to that, I'd be a trillionaire. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I think nobody actually knows the answer to that question. Hmm. Even the most learned songwriters and producers in the world are chasing the answer to that question their whole lives. Right. Like, you know, and I, I have this sort of little sort of theory that I've been working on for a while in my own mind that in science and engineering, like people know how to do stuff, right? Mm-hmm. They know mm-hmm. if you put concrete and iron in that and you cure it for this long, trucks can drive over it, right? Mm-hmm. Works every time, mm-hmm. always. In songwriting, in playwriting, in books, in movies, television, theater, dance, art, none of us actually know how to do anything. Because like, if we did, every Stephen King book would be as good as the best one. Hmm. You know, every, you know, and, and so we're always trying to 
we're all, there, there's a there's an impossible recipe that none of us know what the fourth or fifth ingredient is or something. Right. And so that's why we're always chasing it and always doing it. That's I mean, but I, I'm grateful you're bringing up that song because I love it so much too. And I think that one of the things that is appealing about it, at least so far, and I mean so far, and that it's just sort of come out, is that it it does have a joy in the in the in the writing of it. And then when we recorded it, the the collection of us, our beautiful, beautiful band and me, lived up to the joy that's in the lyric and 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 and, 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 and elevated it. And then when you mix it, it elevates it. And then when people hear it, it elevates it. And just it constantly uh, gets reinforced by every brushstroke that you put on it, you know. And then and and if you're lucky, you know, you'll get a few of them in your life where the song takes on a life of itself, and it just it becomes a thing, like you said without you, you know, and, and like with Great Big C, we had, you know, way, hey, hey, it's just an ordinary day. And like, mm-hmm. and that song just sort of like lives in the, it made it into the, you know, into the pub culture of Canada, you know, and beyond. And like, and that's like, that's a really hard thing to do. Like, I got a great deal of respect for anybody any who, you know, whose, whose songs go beyond them, you know, and live as a part of the tradition in a part in, in a restaurant or a bar or a celebration or a Christmas or whatever. And and that's, you know, I ultimately, I suppose, that's one of the goals of it all. You know, uh, it, like I remember, because I was, you're a year older than me, Alan, so, you know, Great Big C came out when I was ending my time in university. Uh, yeah, up and play Western. Oh, don't get him talking uh, about oh, my God, it. Yes. oh, don't. Oh, don't. <laughs> oh, no. Played lots, oh, of, no. You played lots of times at Western. <laughs> yes, it was. And, you know, Up and Play when I was young in my professional career. So those are the albums. You know, I was 14 when Run Runaway was originally recorded by Slade. So when you guys came out with the cover of that, <laughs> I love that song. But the thing I really love was you talk about Ordinary Day being part of the culture when Team Canada made that as their world junior goal song this year i thought that was i thought that was a great tribute to what great big c has created i I really i thought that was that's the perfect song for a canadian team to pick i really think what a thrill you know it's just like to be again like as a fan of you know the sport and what what a thrill to be a part of that you know like the and like for a hockey nerd like myself you know like to get to get (laughs) It's so cool, and and like, I found out about it actually. Um, the uh, just before, I guess during Christmas, I guess only a few days before it started, and and then uh, like I said, the only shortcoming was the they didn't get to play it enough. They should they needed to play it about five or six more times. <laughs> <laughs> they would have won. Yeah, but I mean, like I say, like th- those kind of things are goals, you know, and, and and sort of cool markers along the way, and I'm super grateful for them. And then like, but I even like I got the, I had this sort of gig. Two years in a row now, I got I got a gig uh, in the first week of January in in Davos, in Switzerland. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I, it was during the World Economic Forum. This sort of gig we, we we've been doing over, and and my, the first time I went there last January, 
I went directly to the hockey rink and got a photo in front of it. Oh, it's beautiful. I've, I've been, me and my brother have been watching the Spengler Cup sure. religiously. Like, since, like, <laughs> I always loved that tournament. And, like, <laughs> I vow that's that's my – if I went to the Habs Super Bowl weekend this year, the next one I'm going to the Spengler Cup. <laughs> Spo- that is a very, very hockey fan thing to say. That's it. I'm going to the Spengler Cup. Yeah, BXA always talked about how great yeah. that was. But can you imagine – did you guys ever work it? No. Uh, we're Spengler? No. No. Yeah. No. No. Oh, my God. Unfortunately, love to go. no. Wouldn't you love to go? Oh, laugh. When I say. retire, yeah. I'm going to catch up teams, on all this the stuff. The club team yes. is playing Team Canada. It's fantastic. Oh my God. Love it. Medvedev from Poland or something. <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> now, the last thing I want to ask you is a non-hockey question, Alan, and that yep. is, what's it like to work with Russell Crowe? I've always oh, been fascinated by Russell. What's he like? Like, what's he like? Oh, it's, it's very, very, you know, like, sweetheart of a man, like, with his buds, you know. It's just, like, he's one of those guys. He's the same friends he's had since he's, like, a kid, you know. And, and he has his gang of uh, buds in Australia that I met up with when I went there for the first time in 2003 or whenever it was. And and he still tours with them, with those guys, and he has pals that he goes to the rugby with and all that. He's, you know, he's, you know... In his personal life and stuff, he's he's very much like a lot of people I grew up with, you know, in, from small town Canada. Uh, in his professional life, of course, he's one of the hardest working guys I've ever seen in my life. Like, you know, and that, you know, for a fellow with the skill set that he has, you'd think he, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't uh, need to do the preparation or whatever he did. But he's like, make no mistake, there's nobody more prepared when somebody goes action than Russell Crowe. Like, he is on it. And the... Uh, and it's I'm not, I'm so lucky. Like I said, I got to work with him doing a bunch of different things, music and that we and concerts and doing um, writing songs for other bands and for TV and film. And then actually got to be in Robin Hood with him. And and it's just like it's just in, incredible. Like I got that gig because they needed an Irishy sounding fellow who could play the lute, right? And and I I went to L.A. in the in 2008 or nine. I can't remember. And did a table read for the show and I, I went and I, we, were, we were a great big scene we were playing at the what's the hockey rink called the, the one downtown the Civic Center and uh, and I remember getting the call from Russell saying can you play the lute and I was like yeah and I, I'm pretty sure I can play the lute you know it's like medieval I think I know how to do that like I play bazookis and like you know mandolas wow. and stuff I can play the lute so I went to the Ottawa Folklore Center and uh, and I bought a lute <laughs> <laughs> and I got on the plane two days later when our tour was over and I flew to Los Angeles and I did a table read for the for uh, Robin Hood and got the gig and uh, yeah. and uh, and the next thing you know two months later or whatever you know I was walking onto a film set in the you know south of London with Ridley Scott and Kate Blanchett and Russell Crowe and 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 the experience of that was just like kind of otherworldly and and not not necessarily like it was awesome in the way that you know you were i was nervous and i was you know blown away by just the opportunity of it no matter but then very quickly you realize on a something that big that an arts project that's that big you are working with the best people who do whatever job is around you being done they're the best people who do that on earth in order to get there, you know, like they're like the actors and the writers were all amazing. We all know that. And the directors, Ridley Scott, for God's sake. But I can tell you right now, the guy who was the set designer was like 
one of the coolest things I've ever seen. The guy who was the mm -hmm. armorer who showed us how to use the bows and arrows and how to shoot and all the weaponry. The guy who taught us on the horses was the best horse teacher. Like mm. the, everybody was just amazing. And they were from all over earth, like the Spanish horse rider guys and the Northern English armorer guys. And then the crowd from, you know, it was just amazing. Like the, 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 the trainers were all from the Czech Republic. And it was like, it was just, <laughs> I mean, they're all just like experts, right? Like the so best wild. of the best. The best, the best of the best. Of the best. Like Ridley Scott and Russell Crowe and Kate Blanchett, they would never accept anything less. The best of the best. It's right? just amazing. Like and so like yeah. and like no matter if you're you know, a singer or an actor or in the arts or not, I mean you, you I saw that in within an hour. And like and that became my pursuit for the whole summer was just meeting every single awesome person and learning about how they became, you know, a uh, and you know Someone who ages clothing for television and film, <laughs> stuff like that. It's like, what? Like, that's an amazing, thing. amazing experience. Yeah. Wow. What a perfect way to close. Uh, wonderful stories. Uh, listen, best of luck with the new album. Uh, best of luck with the tour. We'll link to everything in our show notes. Alan, uh, you parked a lot of time for us today. We really appreciate it. Best of luck and congratulations again. Thanks to you. Thanks to you both. And just, just to be clear, I mean, the, the, I know the Habs lost twice, but I'm, I still think they're in the mix. <laughs> <laughs> a true fan. Wow. A true fan. I can, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Wow, okay. Uh, a true fan. <laughs> I love that. Have a great day, Thanks, guys. Alan. Thank you both. Be well. That's the great Alan Doyle. Again, the new record is called Welcome Home. Uh, tour dates are available on our show liner notes. Please, if he's coming to your area, check him out. The band is great. The night will be fun. The music's fantastic. And everybody, and maybe most of all, Alan Doyle, will have a great time. Before we leave you with a selection from Welcome Home, want to remind you, Hockey Night in Canada, Saturday, Washington, Montreal, Anaheim, Toronto, and your nightcap game should be a beauty. Winnipeg Jets facing off against the Vancouver Canucks stadium series this weekend as well. Saturday flyers and devils, eight o'clock Eastern on Sportsnet. one Sunday afternoon, three o'clock Eastern on Sportsnet. It's the Rangers facing off against the New York Islanders. And again, before I wrap up here, Alan Doyle tour dates available on the show notes, Alan Doyle and the beautiful, beautiful band. And they are indeed coming to a town near you. Check them out. We leave you now with, I know I'm biased. I just love this track. Thanks so much for selecting it, Dom Shermati. Dancing like we did last night from Alan Doyle on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Enjoy. And we're all alone together in this life. Dancing like we did and let the band play on forever. Through the darkness and You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. 
you might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.